Welcome to the Wickedly Smart Women podcast, featuring stellar conversations with emerging and established Wickedly Smart Women. Thanks for joining us today as we celebrate women who are committed, care deeply, and have the courage to take action and create conscious change all around the world. Now here's your Wickedly Smart host, Angel B. Hartwell. Welcome to another episode of the Wickedly Smart Women podcast, where we celebrate wickedly smart women and provide our listeners with a wealth of wisdom along with immediately actionable steps to be smarter, spunkier, and more successful in their impact and their leadership. This is your host, Angel B. Hartwell, and today we welcome our very special guest, Robin Landa. Called a creativity guru, Robin holds the title of Distinguished Professor in the Michael Graves College at Keene University and is the author of 25 nonfiction books published by esteemed publishers such as Simon & Schuster and Barrett Kohler. In June 2022, Routledge published Robin's new book, Strategic Creativity, a Business Field Guide to Advertising, Branding, and Design. Barrett Kohler will publish The New Art of Ideas, Unlock Your Creative Potential on November 8th. Oh, that was just recently, 2022. And actor Holly Taylor, Manifest the Americans, illustrated The New Art of Ideas. And Broadway director-choreographer Lauren Lotaro wrote the foreword. In this book, Robin offers a brand new method for generating worthwhile ideas that get results. Welcome, Robin. I'm so glad to have you here on the show. I'm thrilled to be here. I'm a huge fan of yours, Angel. Thank you oh, so much. Well, thank you. Well, you and I share a love of creativity, so I'm really excited that you're here as well. And I want to start by asking, Robin, were you the little girl who was like making paper dolls when you were a kid? Were you like super creative? Did you always have a creative bent or was that something that came later as you progressed in your lifetime? How did you know? Yes. <laughs> I got yes. a vision. Yes. I could see I, you like cutting out your little paper doll. Yes. I was actually cutting out fabric and making dresses and much to my mother's chagrin, sometimes it was her dresses I was cutting up. So yes, I've always been drawing and making and thinking and dancing and doing all sorts of creative acts, writing. Mm, Beautiful. Well, you know, I don't know how much you experienced the appreciation of your creativity. Some, Some of us got that appreciation and some of us got put down the chute into the cookie cutter industrial machine. So were you supported as a child in that? Or were you, you know, did you have to lose it and find it again? No, I I really was supported in it up until a certain point when I wanted to first be a professional dancer. And my parents said, no way. And then I wanted to be an artist. And my parents said, no. I mean, this is when we got, well, dancer early on, because you have to start very early. Mm. When I got to college, they were like, nope, you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer (laughs) or a teacher. Mm. And I started down that track. And then I took my first drawing class. And that was it. I just said, well, too bad. I'm following my heart. Mm, Beautiful. 
So it's interesting because we share the dancing thing. When I was a kid, I I also wanted to be a dancer. And my cousin for a while was the lead in the the New York, I think it was the the ABT, the American wow. Ballet Theater. Yeah, he was the lead. So I was like, oh, oh it's my like third cousin or something. And I also got the no, you you have to stop doing that. So how did that impact you and your creativity to not have the support? of your dreams at first? And then where did you find the courage to say, I'm going to do what I want? I don't, I don't know where I found the courage. I just think I was just not happy as a pre-med major. I mean, I, I love science and I love math, but I just, just felt that affinity for the arts. And my parents just sort of went, I'm an only child and they just went with it. But they kept saying, but of course, you're going to go on and you're going to get advanced degrees and maybe you'll become a dean. Or I mean, they were just constantly pushing for something that they thought might be stable. Mm. That, that was their concern that, you know, of course, all parents want their children to be able to navigate their lives and, and survive. So mm. I, I think their heart, they they really just wanted me to make sure I was going to be OK. Yeah, well, it's interesting. My cousin, who was the ballet dancer, they made him go to law school too. So. <laughs> See, there you go. <laughs> He's dancing for go. the ABT, and he had to go to law school too. So, yeah. So, you know, one of the things I want to talk with you about, Robin, is this idea of the creative path not being stable. I I actually think that that's something that we're in a turning point collectively. And I like to say that I feel like we're at the dawn of the creative age, right? We had the agrarian age and we had the industrial age and we had the technology and information age. And like, I feel like we're at the beginning of the creative age. So can we talk about, I'd love to have your take on, you know, this kind of fallacy that there is instability in the creative realm and what can we do to you know, continue to dismantle those those ideas? Well, I think people don't realize that so many professions demand creative thinking and strategic creative thinking, not just willy-nilly creative thinking, because mm -hmm. it, it, from so many professions, it has to be applied. My husband is a physician and a scientist, and he's very creative. And, and when he was getting his PhD in genetics, he had to be creative in terms of thinking about different avenues of approach. How, what's the gap that I have to fill? What, what research hasn't been done? How can we approach this? And so if you think about whether the person is an engineer or a scientist or even a physician who might use creative ways to deal with their patients, it's transdiscipline. And I think people don't realize that. But careers in the arts, I think people worry about in terms of making a living. And so if you think about images of musical rent or la boheme of, of artists starving in their garret, that that's the vision that people have. But people manage. I mean, people either go into roles that where they can apply their creativity or they they manage in some ways if that if that's their passion but i do think that almost every profession demands some kind of strategic creative thinking mm. and we talk about that strategic creative thinking versus willy-nilly because i think that is like the core piece of it there there is this you know kind of 
idea or projection that the creative is flaky and willy-nilly and all over the place. Help us to understand what you mean by strategic creative thinking. Strategic creative thinking is thinking about solving a problem, anticipating issues, thinking empathetically, aiming empathetically at the people that you're serving and appropriately, and ultimately thinking about how your creative solution benefits people, business, culture, the planet. So we're always thinking about what effects are, is there a downside? What are the upsides? What are the advantages to this creative solution or to my creative thinking or to this innovative product or service? So it really is about who you're serving, how it benefits them, what it can do, and trying to eliminate any negative effects and really, really thinking about consequences. Mm, okay. So what I feel like I'd love to ask you is what about those people who are super artistic? I'm going to use the word artistic, which I think is like a, you know, a, it's a spectrum, right? There's, there's a creative spectrum. People who are really artistic are often misunderstood, right? And also often are the ones that have trouble getting their creativity financially rewarded like what is the value of beauty well i think beauty is i wish i could quote the study to you but i i did do research on this many many years ago and if you show images of faces to infants or to babies they will respond to symmetry in a face they will respond to certain aesthetics that we could describe as beauty and this is across cultures and across ethnicities, what they're responding to is some kind of beauty in, in the human face. I think that we have some aesthetics that are constructed, but there's some innate reaction to beauty. And I think that's what a lot of people respond to. But a lot of contemporary art isn't conventionally beautiful. Mm. It could be what some people would consider impactful rather than beautiful. I think post Dadaism, there's a whole new way of thinking about art and beauty. So, but I do think that there's an innate response to beauty. Mm. And so how does that get communicated in terms of, you know, kind of commanding value out of the marketplace or commanding let's be blunt cash flow out of the marketplace right. if right. if that's if that's your realm of creativity and obviously there's a huge you know there's a huge spectrum of creativity but for right. those who are who might be feeling like they're looked at as willy-nilly for those who really want to be strategic with their creative power and this is what their gift is you know how do we help those people who are listening well if you think about apple's designs you know, so if you, I, I think they do this, they would show different laptops to people and without the logos and, and or phones and people would inevitably choose the Apple because of Jonathan Ivey's designs, because of the beauty of the, of the proportions and the symmetry and the materials and the overall design, the product design. 
And so it it can be commercialized. I mm. think there's great success if you think about a beautiful table or, or or a shoe or you know if you're thinking about product design or apparel design. So it, it's all over the place, whether it's architecture or 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 a scarf or a pattern or a textile. But I do think if you're asking in the broader sense about how it can be used across disciplines is creative thinking is crucial because we're always looking for answers to chronic issues, mm. right? So how do you creatively think about clean water for all or sheltering the unsheltered? So there's so many chronic issues that need to be addressed and creative, strategic creative thinking can really address those problems. Or if you think about things that are missing, whether product design or service or a gap in research or overlooked audiences or underserved audiences. So all of those ways that you can use your creative thinking in business. Mm. Yeah, beautiful. All right, Robin, well, we are going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to talk a lot more about your book, The New Art of Ideas and How to Unlock Your Creative Potential. But right now, we are going to take a quick break. Wickedly Smart Women, we could use your help. If you are enjoying the show and want us to stay on the air, please consider making a donation at www.wickedlysmartwomen.com. We'd also like to ask you to share with your lovely lady friends who you think might benefit from our content. Help a gal out and let your sisters, mothers, daughters, friends, and colleagues know about the show so that we can serve them too. I do want to say a big thank you to all of our listeners who are downloading, rating, and reviewing. We are now an eight-time award-winning show. Very exciting about that. And we have just recently launched our new book, Wickedly Smart Women, Trusting Your Intuition, Taking Action, and Transforming Worlds. So please feel free to access that. And we are welcoming thousands of downloads from all over the world from 104 different countries. We want to shout out this week to our listeners. We might as well shout out to our listeners on Broadway. And let's also shout out to our listeners in Chile and Puerto Rico. And we will be right back with Robin Landau. The Wickedly Smart Women podcast is brought to you by the Wealthy Life Mentor. Women, are you on the edge knowing that life is calling you to make a change? Are you ready to be part of the evolution of what it means to be a wickedly smart woman creating your wealthy life by design, a life that is an extraordinary work of art? Angel B. Hartwell, the Wealthy Life Mentor, is hired by Women in Transition, Women just like you who want to break through to their brilliance, become clear on the value of their wisdom, and embody a beauty-filled, balanced life of shameless self-expression. Discover your wealthy life readiness by taking the quiz at quiz.wealthylifementor.com. And we are back with Robin Landa. You can find out more about Robin and all of her books. I mean, she's the author of 25 nonfiction books. So I'm sure she has that information on her website. You can go to robinlanda.com. We'll have that for you in the show notes. And Robin, let's talk about this latest book. What are some of the 
main tenets or what's the main theme of this book that you'd like our listeners to know about that would inspire them to go run over to your website and acquire a copy for themselves? The book introduces a new method for idea generation. It's the first new method since brainstorming was introduced by Alex Osborne in 1953. And time so, for an upgrade. Time for, time an, upgrade. for an upgrade. <laughs> That's right. And brainstorming works for a lot of people, but it doesn't work for others. There are other methods of idea generation that have been around for a long time. One was introduced in the 1920s and the 1930s, 1950s, but this is really different. And the reason that it's different is that I actually explain how you form an idea and how you assess an idea mm -hmm. so that the ideas are not just random or, or evil, for goodness sake, but worthwhile. Ideas worth pursuing that have benefits for people, the planet, creatures, society. Mm. Beautiful. And who would be an ideal reader for you, Robin? Who would be somebody that you think would really highly benefit from acquiring this book? Anybody who needs to generate an idea. <laughs> and it's, it's amazing how people take that for granted, because a lot of people think that if they have a goal, that that's an idea. But that's just what you want to achieve. It's not really an idea. So I've I've had people who are two doctors have invited me onto their podcast to speak to physicians about mm -hmm. it, scientists, engineers, marketing people for sure. Mm -hmm. CMO, I consult with CMOs and CEOs, people who own companies, people who are entrepreneurs are great candidates, teachers who want to teach their students how to generate ideas, which is what I have to do mm -hmm. all the time. So it really runs across the board. A lot of the examples I have in the book are also in the arts. I give an example of about Lin-Manuel Miranda, about Jeremy O'Harris, the playwright, about Rose Ganella, the fine artist. So it really can apply to any discipline, any, anybody who needs to generate a good idea. Mm. Are you willing to share a little bit about your non-brainstorming or evolved from 1953's brainstorming idea? I'd love to hear a little bit about your, you know, your process, your method, your framework for helping people to generate. I'll give it to you. <laughs> it, it's very easy to remember. There are three G's, goal, gap, and gain. Your goal as I said, is what you hope to achieve. And the gap is where it gets very interesting. And I mentioned a few gaps earlier. So you can think about a gap as a missing piece in the research or literature, crack in the research, an area that's not been explored at all or underexplored, a lack of understanding about how something works, an unaddressed audience, an overlooked audience, a plant, a process, or a system not yet examined, a more sustainable method, a toxic-free method, something in your field that can be merged with another field that can be more consequential. So you're always looking for that void, for that gap to fill. And then the gain is asking, what's the benefit? How will it benefit people? What's in it for individuals, society, the planet, creatures? What will people gain from it? And so I'm always 
advocating for the triple bottom line, but in reverse. So the, the conventional bottom line is profit, people, planet. So I say people, planet, profit. Mm -hmm. And that's the way to assess. So I'm very interested in worthwhile ideas, ideas that will benefit the mm -hmm. world. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. So would you be willing to share with our listeners some of the ideas that you have seen people be able to generate as a result of applying your framework, your method? Well, I can give you mine, one that I've used. Yes, um, please. That, that is kind of a fun one. And then I can reverse engineer some others mm -hmm. because I actually signed non-disclosure agreements. So I can't give you any of the corporate ones that I've worked on, but I can give you mine and I can reverse engineer an existing idea for you so when my daughter was three years old she had a series of nightmares and it was very distressing for my husband for her and for myself and i did everything i looked up i did some anecdotal research and i looked up what to do and you rub her back and you leave the door open and you put a light on and all easy enough didn't work and so i thought okay i have a problem to solve i have a goal mm. I have to get her to go to sleep and not have nightmares. So I thought about how do I compartmentalize my own emotions when I'm distressed? And I compartmentalized them. And I thought, okay, I took a tea box and I wrapped it with pretty wrapping paper. And I said, Haley, tell your dream to this box, tell your nightmare to this box. And she did. And I said, okay, we're going to close the lid. We're going to put it away. And your nightmare is gone no more nightmares. And she said, Mom, how does that work? I said, Oh, it's magic. I can't tell you it's magical. <laughs> because at three years old, magical thinking works. Mm -hmm. They believe in the tooth fairy and Santa Claus. And magical thinking isn't good for adults, but it's good for children. And it worked and it worked so well. I interviewed two prominent psychologists in New York, and they said, oh, yes, that that's exactly right. We tell patients to write things down and throw them away or put it in a drawer. You, you're on to something. And so I turned it into a children's book to help other parents. And it, it's wonderful when I get photos of the children holding the book with thank you notes from the parents. So that that was one of my ideas that I commercialized. That is beautiful. That is beautiful. I love the box. I had an idea when my kid was little, he was having nightmares as well. So this is for all this is a side note for all you parents who are listening who have kids who are having nightmares. We had something called monster spray. And it was literally it was like essential oils like lavender, which lavender will help to, you know, bring calm and peacefulness, the essential oil. So I had his little monster spray. And when he would have a monster thing going on, we'd come in, we'd spray under the bed. And so, yeah, I love that. It's, it's the same thing. See, yeah. you, you did it. Yeah. Well, you you, yeah. And you commercialized it, girl. <laughs> so, so beautiful. So now if you wouldn't mind, like maybe another one, and sure. then we're going to be close to the end. And so, yeah, I'd love to hear maybe one more idea that, that has come as a result of people using your framework. Well, I'll give you one. Microsoft didn't use my framework, but I'll reverse engineer an idea that they did come out with. Matt Height, who is a Microsoft engineer was scrolling through Twitter and he saw a photo of a bespoke adaptive gaming controller. 
And he it really caught his attention and he reached out to Ken Jones, who posted it, who Ken Jones runs Warfighter Engaged. And it's it's an organization that helps wounded veterans. And Ken has to actually adapt each gaming controller for the needs of each veteran. So mm. they're all bespoke and it's just him mm. and it's one at a time. And Matt Height thought, I want to help too. And he went back to Microsoft and during one of their ability summits, he put together a team to work on an adaptive controller. And many years later, with a lot of hard work and a lot of dedicated people, Microsoft was the first major company to produce an adaptive controller for people living with disabilities and people with limited mobility. So Matt mm. had a goal. Mm. It was a gap in mm. the gaming industry. And the benefit is for 46 million gamers living with disabilities in the U.S. alone. Mm. Beautiful. I love that. Well, in the last couple of minutes that we have, Robin, if there was something that you would really like to convey to our listeners, if they are seeing a gap, if they are, you know, searching for the creative solution to whatever particular problem they have, one of the things that I'm hearing here is there's almost like a an invitation to have some fusion going on. Like you look over here and you look over here and it's almost like fusion cooking, right? Mm -hmm is part of part of what I'm hearing the idea generation process is if there was one last piece that you wanted to have our listeners take away from this conversation, I'd love to give you the mic to offer that now. Thank you for asking because this is very near and dear to my heart, but I'm about yeah. to say any idea that you have get multiple perspectives, make sure that you're talking to a diverse group of people that you're not just talking to people who are the same as you to avoid group think, but to really get multiple perspectives to, to be inclusive and think about other people's narratives and other people's stories. Mm, I love that. I'm the kind of idea generator that I just do it. <laughs> I, I just throw it out there and see if it sticks or I don't throw it out there at all. So I really respect and admire and appreciate how you have taken the new art of ideas to unlock your own creative potential, Robin, and you're helping so many others to do the same. All right, listeners, we do love feedback. Please let us know what you thought of today's show by calling into our listener line. We will have that for you in the show notes, or you can send in questions or guest suggestions to listeners at wickedlysmartwomen.com. We'd also love to encourage you to go to Robin's website at robinlanda.com. Again, we'll have that for you in the show notes. And certainly feel free to acquire one of her 25 books. <laughs> I'm sure there's something there. I'm sure there is ideas in every one of those books that will close a gap for someone. Right. And yeah, please feel free to go ahead and connect with Robin over there, especially if you are a corporate leader and you're looking for some support to get more ideas out into the commercial space, I'm sure Robin would be happy to have the conversation with you. So we are going to close now. We want to thank you all for tuning in. We want to invite you to keep your ears open and we want you to remember that you are a wonderful woman. Thanks for tuning in, downloading and listening. 
Be sure to rate and review Wickedly Smart Women on Apple Podcasts and share with other women who can benefit from today's episode. Wickedly Smart Women is the premier podcast series for informing, activating, and inspiring the leader who carries profound wisdom and knows that now is the time to welcome wealth. We welcome your feedback and guest suggestions and invite you to subscribe to our mailing list to be notified of each new episode at wickedlysmartwomen.com.